Uh, I'm so excited to be back in person with you guys. Those of you who are watching on Facebook, it's, it's so great to have you uh, watching with us as well. I want us to um, keep going with what we started talking about last week um, with this sermon series through Christmas, A Change of Plans. We're looking at how God took a change of plans in the lives of Mary and Joseph and he used it to change the whole world. This poor peasant Jewish couple. And uh, last week we saw how God's interruption into the life of this young peasant girl Mary changed everything for her. And he, and he brought this message through the angel Gabriel. And, and as we're getting into the text, before we finish out this part of Mary's encounter with Gabriel, I want to just remind you of some things that maybe, maybe we hit on last week, maybe you haven't thought about, but, but trying to get into the reality of the story that the Gospels are telling. Um, we talked about last week how Mary lived in Nazareth. Nazareth was a nothing town. There, there was no reason anyone in history should have ever really known or cared anything about Nazareth because nothing good had ever come out of Nazareth. Nazareth was, um, I, I tried to tell you guys and, and tried to help you understand how little it was. Here's another way you can think of Nazareth. Nazareth was that town that as you're driving to go somewhere else, if you've got to go to the bathroom really, really bad, or you've got to get gas or you're going to run out. Nazareth was the town you stopped in to get gas or go to the bathroom. And that's the only reason you had to stop there. <laughs> okay? We can all relate to that. We're traveling. We're going somewhere. Nobody went to Nazareth for anything. It had no historical significance. Probably maybe 100 people would have lived in Nazareth. It was a nothing place. And, and so Gabriel comes to this nothing place, which is, which is crazy in and of itself, because nobody ever came to Nazareth for a reason, but Gabriel did. And he comes, and he, and he comes to this 12, 13-year-old, ordinary, poor farmer girl who um, had no plans beyond planning her wedding. She was about to marry this young man named Joseph. Likely they had grown up in the same town because Nazareth was not a place that you went to. Um, most, if you lived there, you'd probably lived there your whole life and you probably planned on staying there your whole life. And that was what they were looking forward to. That was their plan. Um, Mary likely was not an educated girl. Uh, some historians say it's very likely she did not even know how to read or write. Um, so think about this poor middle school aged girl um, who had planned to live a simple life insignificant to the rest of the world. Again, just like Nazareth, there is no reason that anyone in history would have ever known who Mary was. But when Gabriel comes to her, what does he say to her? He calls her favored one. He says, you have the favor of God. God has chosen you. 
And so the fulfillment of thousands of years of prophecy was going to be born in her. And you say, well, what was it about Mary that made her so special? Why did God pick her? She wasn't, God didn't pick her because she was special. She was special because God picked her. You see the difference there? It's not that there was any inherent goodness or holiness that was in her that was, that was different than anybody else. But she had a great faith. And so, and, and we're really going to see that this morning in what the response, what her response was to the message that Gabriel gave to her. Now, if you, if you didn't watch last week or you don't know everything we talked about, you can go back. That's what I kind of love about streaming is you can always go back and watch what I talked about last week and, and get it. Um, but I, I want us to see how does she respond to such a heavy calling. You may put yourself in that place and think, if I were her in that situation, think about how you would have responded to that kind of news. Let's look at Luke chapter 1. Let's start with verse 34. The first words out of Mary's mouth as Gabriel brings this revelation to her is this, verse 34. Mary asked the angel, how can this be? Since I have not had sexual relations with a man. She was a virgin. Now, before you blast Mary for asking a question of the angel, can we just all agree that's a pretty reasonable question? <laughs> right? This is, not, uh, this is not a question lacking faith. This is a question of genuine desire to know how is what you have told me going to happen because that's never happened before. Um, And I want us to look and compare in Luke's gospel something really interesting. Some of you might remember last Christmas we talked about, um, my sermon series was called B-List, and we talked about some of the other characters in the Christmas story besides Mary, Joseph, wise men, the Magi. And we talked about Elizabeth and Zechariah. And their story is in Luke chapter 1 previous to this. And if you remember, Gabriel, before he visits Mary, he comes to Zechariah. And he tells Zechariah that, that John, John the Baptist, was going to be born of Elizabeth. And she was, she was way past childbearing years. And it seemed a physical impossibility for her to have a child as well. And so Zechariah responds to this news What we may think is very similar, but it's not similar at all to the way Mary responds. I want to to show you, if you have your Bible, go back to verse 18 in Luke chapter 1. This is Zechariah's response. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Zechariah said, how can I know this? When you, what he was really asking, when he said, how can I know this? He was really making the statement, I, I can't know this. He was saying, and so when he said, I can't know this, he was really saying, I, I can't believe what you've told me. Do you see that? Do you see that in the way he... And your translation may say something a, a little bit different. But how can I know this? How can I really believe what you just told me? 
it wasn't, Zachariah's question was not a question of circumstance. It was not a question of how is God going to do it. His question was, how do you expect me to believe that? Zechariah was responding to the word of God. And, and, and our, honestly, our perspective might be, well, come on, dude. A stinking angel has just told you. That's how you can believe it. Like, don't you think you would believe if, an, if a, a literal angel appeared to you and told you this is God's word for you? So Zechariah says, I, I, how, how do you expect me to believe what you just told me? But Mary's response is different. Go back to verse 34. Mary asked, how can this be? Since I'm a virgin. How can this be because I've not been with a man before? Her question was not, how do you expect me to believe this? Her question was, wow. How is he going to do that? It... And when Mary said, how can this be? She was really, even in that phrase, she was saying that it could be. Her question was not, if this can be, or she didn't ask, can this be? She asked, how can this be? Um, It was as if she was saying, I totally believe what you're telling me. I just don't know how it's going to work. Mary didn't struggle with unbelief. She just had questions. And is that not very similar to many of us? Some people say, well, well, some people wonder genuinely, well, I have questions about God. There are things that I struggle with I don't understand. Uh, Like, I've I've put my faith in Christ. Am Am I really a Christian if I have questions? The answer is, yeah, of course you are. It's not unbelief that's Mary's issue here. She's just got questions. God, how in the world are you going to make this happen? She trusted God's word without really knowing how God's hand was going to move. She trusted the word of Gabriel without knowing the hand of God. So here's a point I want you to remember. Unbelief isn't the absence of questions. It's the absence of trust. And there's a Big, big difference. I don't think God is afraid of our questions. I don't think he's intimidated by them at all. And I don't believe he looks on us unfavorably when we have genuine questions about how he's going to accomplish what he says he's going to accomplish. The angels already called Mary favored one. God shows such great favor on Mary, yet don't you know that God would have known that that question was in her heart before Gabriel even told her the revelation. How is this going to be? It's, that, it's what we call faith-seeking understanding. And that's going to be that way for the rest of our life. There's, there's, no, there's no point in which we're going to know everything that we want to know until we are in the presence of Jesus. And think about this for a minute. How much faith does it take to trust what God says when you can figure out the answer to how? Is that really a whole lot of faith? Maybe we give ourselves credit for 
for, for, for thinking, oh man, I'm, I have so much faith because I believe this. But most of the time, the things that we don't struggle with, questions about are the things that we figure out on our own. And how much faith does it take to figure out how, some, how the how by ourselves? That's not really that much faith. But here's Mary who says, I totally believe what you've just told me. I just don't have a clue how God is going to do that. Great trust in Mary. Great faith. This little middle school girl. Think about that. She doesn't argue. She doesn't deny that it's true. It's almost this childlike faith. It's almost this... I almost imagine the, the face of a, of a kid when you do a magic trick for them. They see that you, you made the card disappear or you made the card change or you did something and they just look at it and go, wow, how did you do that? That's, that's kind of what we see in Mary's heart. And so Gabriel graciously, he doesn't have to answer her, but he does. Look at verse 35. He gives her the how. The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So he answers her question of how. The how is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the answer to her question of how. And I want you to think about like this again. Mystery for us. How in the world does God conceive in the womb of a young girl, a baby, without a man? Think about the angel Gabriel said it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Let me go back and read you Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. We know Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And who? The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. I don't know that we've really understood or, or made the connection, but the Spirit of God that was hovering over the uncreated world in Genesis 1-2 is the Holy Spirit that Gabriel said was going to come over Mary. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Father, the entire Trinity were all active participants in the creation in Genesis and so the Holy Spirit comes, and in the same way God was going to speak with his word, life into existence in Genesis, it was simply the word of the Lord and the work of the Holy Spirit in her that was going to bring about life again. Something from nothing in Genesis. If we believe in a creator God who creates something from nothing in Genesis, then for a virgin to conceive and have a child is not that big of a stretch, is it? 
He says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And it's interesting, that's the same word if you remember, and and Luke would talk about it later in his gospel, the transfiguration. When Peter and James and John saw the glory of God and there was a, a cloud of glory that descended on them. It's the same word. The same word here for overshadow is the same word that describes that cloud of glory that came down there on the Mount of Transfiguration. It means to surround, to encompass in a literal sense, but in a metaphorical sense, it means to influence. That the Holy Spirit would would create life in Mary simply by God's will and his word. And the result of God's work in Mary, Gabriel says, after the Holy Spirit comes on you, this is the result. The one that would be born would be the Holy One. And he would be called the Son of God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 um, says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. He says this child will be different than any other child that's ever been born. He will be the Holy One. Holy, set apart, completely separate from any other person that's ever lived. He'll be the Holy One of God. The exact expression of the nature of God. Born in flesh, alive in you. And then... I think Gabriel may have known that he was blowing Mary's mind. Wouldn't your mind be blown at this point? And so he gives her more information to help help her understand. Look at verse 36. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. Verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. I think God may have known Mary was struggling to try to comprehend and, and, and even being told the how. It was hard for her to wrap her mind around what that was going to look like. And so Gabriel said, God's already given you an example to look at. You know how sometimes we, when we hear somebody explain something to us, it may be hard for us to wrap our minds around. And I'm, I, I'm that type of person too. Like when I'm trying to figure out something at home, I, I don't want, uh, when I go to Google to try to figure it out, I don't even want to just read it. I don't want words. I want to look up a video. I want somebody to show me. I want to see somebody else do it. I want to see it done so that I can look at that. And that helps me wrap my mind around what it's going to be like for me when I do it. I think God graciously gives Mary that example. And he says, I know you're wondering how God's going to do that. You know what? He's already, he's already done a miracle of birth in Elizabeth. And Mary would have known about Elizabeth. This, this was a sign from God to Mary to say what, what I'm telling you is the truth and it's going to happen. Mary would have known Elizabeth was barren and I don't, and, and, and you have to understand there was a huge cultural 
shadow over women who could not give birth. That was a, that was a mark, almost. It was, a, it was a mark of shame on them. Uh, most Jews believe that, that if uh, you couldn't have children, that it was a punishment of some kind. It was a punishment from God for something sinful in your life or in your past. And Elizabeth likely experienced a lot of shame because even, um, look at what Gabriel says in verse 36. He says, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. I think she was probably called more names than that. But even Gabriel says people have have tagged her. They've, they've drawn assumptions about who she was. They've called her childless. And Mary would have known all that Elizabeth had been through. She would have known the shame that Elizabeth had gone through and the pain and the agony of a woman who desperately wanted to have children and couldn't. And I think also Mary would have been filled with such hope and joy at this moment. Hope, hope for, not just for her, but for Elizabeth. Just overjoyed that, that this had happened to Elizabeth. Because you understand, up until this point, like... Mary hasn't been able to read the verses before this. Like, she doesn't know about Elizabeth yet until Gabriel tells her. This is where she finds out that Elizabeth is pregnant too for the very first time. And so overwhelming joy and hope that it must have filled her heart with. Let me ask you something. Gabriel said in verse 37, nothing's impossible with God. Do you believe nothing's impossible with God? But do you really? That's what I want us to think about this morning. We that's that's an easy yes in church, right? That's an easy yes in Sunday school when somebody throws that question out. Yes. Of course I do. Do we live like it though? Like, it's an easy yes to a question. But do we live like it? Do we make decisions like it? Do we, do we experience the change of plans in our life from the perspective of believing that nothing is impossible with God? I don't know about you, but I struggle with that. When my plans change and I don't want them to change... I might freak out a little bit. Or I may think, I've got to fix them. But to live and make decisions on a daily basis, to, to have a need and not know how it's going to be met, what do we usually do? We scramble to try to meet it ourselves. Here's the second thing I want you to remember. Very simple. God is constant possibility. Constant possibility. Constant meaning always, like perpetual, never never ending. 
There's not a moment that we live that we don't experience God in our lives where anything becomes impossible. Impossibility is impossible when it comes to God. There's there's nothing that's impossible. God takes nothings, absolute nothings, and creates all kinds of somethings. Um, he, he's doing it. He's, he does it in creation in Genesis, we see. He's doing it in Mary. Now, um, God is not bound by the laws of his own creation. You, you understand that. That there are laws of science. There are laws of nature. But guess who established all of those? God established all of those things. And he is the creator of every law of nature and science. So there is no, there's no impossibility for him. Because he's creator over those things. He, he is lord over those things. He controls them. And he's outside the realm of limitations that they create for us. But he lives outside of that. He lives outside the realm of possibility. There, there is no realm of possibility. Like everything is possible. He's outside of that. We, we live our lives and we see things and we go, well, this is possible and this is impossible. God doesn't know that. That's not a part of his reality. It's all possible. There's nothing that's impossible for him. We think, about, we think about, again, Christmas, where Mary is trying to understand what, how is it that God is going to create life in me in this supernatural way. And we ponder on it at Christmas, and we think about it, and we go, wow, what an incredible miracle that is. What's the greater miracle, that God could give a virgin a baby or that God could save you? What's a bigger miracle, y'all? Just stop and think about it. Think about the impossibility of you reconciling yourself to God. Think about the impossibility of you creating your own righteousness so much that somehow you could stand before Almighty God and He would look at you and see you as acceptable. You talk about impossible. But so many of you sit in this room and you sit in front of your computers and TVs right now and you know that's what you've experienced in your life. How can you think that God ever has to deal with the impossible? So now probably the, the best verse in this whole, whole text. Verse 38. Mary's response See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Don't you wish verse 38 was a little longer? (laughs) Don't you wish verse 38 said a little bit more? Like, is that really all she said? I know some of us, we like to talk. 
Like, I think I would have had a little more to say than that. But she says something very powerful, very short, very simple, and very powerful. And there's two things that I see in her response in verse 38. One is submission. At the very beginning, I am the Lord's servant. She places herself under the sovereignty, under the control, this this miraculous revelation that's been given to her that she's still trying to wrap her mind around, even though what the angel has told her is, has, has amplified her, her faith and helped her to grasp it. She still doesn't really understand. But she says, I'm the Lord's servant. Complete availability. And I want us to think for a minute, in this moment where she's encountering, having this conversation with Gabriel... What is she risking? What is she giving up? Like, let, let's just break it down. She is about, she is betrothed to Joseph during this one-year period. The most shameful, worst thing in the world that could happen to her right now in her life is to get pregnant. Because she's likely, in natural terms, she gets pregnant, she's going to lose her husband. She's going to shame her entire family. She's going to shame herself. She's going to become a social outcast and very likely be dragged into the street by the townspeople and made a spectacle of for all the other young girls in the town. As to what not to be. See she doesn't know the rest of the story like we do. And so the angel has just told her. You're going to. The Holy Spirit's going to conceive in you. And you're going to. You're going to have a baby. And she knows. She can do the math. This is going to happen before Joseph and I are married. And everybody is going to know. They may not know what Gabriel has said. They may not know the supernatural work of God in her. But they're going to know one thing. That girl's got a baby when she's not supposed to. You've got to know that in this moment... All of that is going through her mind. But do you see any hesitation in her response? Do you see any, well, Gabriel, let me go pray about it. Let me think on this one. I just don't know. That's a lot to risk. No hesitation in her response at all. Kind of reminds me of that little boy that she's going to give birth to. And one day he's going to be on the ground in a garden. And his father's going to tell him he's got to die. 
And he's going to reply, I'm, I'm your servant. Not what I want, but what you want. Like mother, like son, huh? And then the other thing is not just submission. And I hope you see this the way I do in verse 38. I also see anticipation in her. Not just this solemn submission to, yes. I I think sometimes we read that verse 38 and we almost hear Mary like she's a robot. Like, yes, I will do what you say. Like just this solemn, emotionless response. Yes, whatever you tell me, I will do kind of thing. But I see it and I I hear anticipation in that. When she says, "I'm, I'm the Lord's servant, may it happen to me as you have said. She's saying... You're not going to think about Mary this way, but I think in that statement, she's going, bring it on. Let it be exactly the way you have told me. Um, I don't think it was a solemn response at all. When we sing that Christmas carol and say a thrill of hope, I think that's what she was experiencing in that moment. There's this, because Mary had a very simple childlike faith. And when the angel tells her this and then tries to explain to her how it's going to happen, I think, what, what, I think what he saw in her was this thrill of, I can't wait for this to happen exactly the way you've just told me. What in the world? God is going to do that and he's going to do it in me. Of course Of course I'll let him do it. I can't wait to see how this is going to happen. She says, may it be exactly the way you've told me. And it's almost like she says, you know what, I cannot wait to see. I hope it goes exactly the way you've told me that it's going to happen. Because that's going to be the most incredible thing in the world. I mean, you, those of you who are mothers, think about, think about how you felt when you first knew you were going to have your first baby. You didn't respond, yes, I will be a mother now. I must care for this child. No. Hope. Anticipation. Wow, what is it going to be like? Mary didn't have a whole lot of information. She wasn't knowledgeable. She wasn't educated. She didn't have as much information in that moment as we have now being able to read the scriptures. We know reading the story way more than she knew. But what kind of faith did she have? What kind of trust? Did she have lacking so much information? So, what we see here literally is Mary's plan completely falling apart. 
So here's the last point. Mary's plans fell apart, but she trusted the pieces to God's greater plan. We've talked about how this change of plans theme, and I want you to think about every plan that this little 13-year-old girl had for how her life was going to go just fell apart. She's about to experience something no one has or ever will experience again. And she's going to encounter pain and hardship and ridicule and misunderstanding from people likely for the rest of her life from some folks. She's not even sure if she's going to survive it. She could, at this point, she doesn't know, she could end up stoned and dead in the street. Like this wasn't, this scenario was not what we think it was so often. Like this was hard. This was God coming to you and saying, let me take away everything that you know. And put you in a place where nobody around you is going to understand anything about what happens to you or how you try to explain it to them. Everybody around you is going to think you're nuts. How many people do you think Mary tried to explain this story to? And they wrote her off as crazy. Yeah, there's Mary. She's the one. She's the one that has the holy kid. But she still submitted. And I can't help but think. That in those hours at Golgotha, as she's on the ground and she's looking up and she sees her son dying, she's thinking about this in those moments as she's watching her son bleed. She's thinking about this conversation. She's thinking about these feelings that she had. And she's looking at that and she's somehow realizing that she didn't see any of this here. But somehow sitting at the foot of that cross watching him die, she understands exactly how it all was supposed to happen. So you may ask this question, what could God possibly do with my plans changing? Like my, my plans are, are different now. Think about all the things that have changed in your life in the past year. Think about all the plans you had 
that aren't plans anymore. Think about all the things that have fallen apart that you thought were going to happen, but they haven't happened. And all the adjustments you've had to make. And all of these things that have come into your life and you've went, wow, I can't do that anymore. Now I have to do this. And, and adjusting and changing and, and, and maybe even grieving some of those changes. You say, what can God possibly do in the midst of all those change plans? You know what the answer is? The impossible. What can he possibly do? With your changed plans, the impossible. Because that's what grace does. It brings about glory for God in our lives, not because, not because we've done anything to make it possible, but just because he's that good. And that's how good he was in the life of Mary. And that grace that came to Mary that day, and that grace that stayed with her through through all of her life as she gave birth to Jesus and she tried to raise the Son of God in her house. That was all because of the goodness of God and the grace that he has given her. And whatever plans have changed in your life, whatever curveballs you're trying to hit, and whatever changes are coming that you don't even know yet, If we put our faith and trust in him, that same grace that Mary had access to in the midst of all her changed plans is the same grace he offers us. It's the same grace he gives us as believers, as his children. That same grace that changes the the greatest change that could ever happen when we cross over from death to life and we believe in the gospel.